You can open your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 12. We're going to finish uh, this chapter here this morning, last four verses of Mark 12. I want to give you a, a highlight and uh, just a, a heads up for next Sunday. Um, in light of Thanksgiving coming a week from Sunday, we are we thought about having a Wednesday night uh, Thanksgiving service, but we decided just to do that Sunday morning. So we want to really have an opportunity Sunday morning, maybe to change the format a little bit and give you an opportunity for testimonies. You just want to give thanks to the Lord for whatever. So that gives you a whole week for you to prepare your testimony. And um, I am fully prepared to shorten my message uh, next Sunday. Uh, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper also as a way of, of thanking the Lord. We'll have that in there and maybe it just be a communion meditation. And maybe that'll be really short if a lot of you go really long. If you don't have much to say, I have much to say. So if you want to hear a short sermon, come and, and speak praise to God. I just know God will be glorified much in, in that time, I'm sure. Well, I want to tell you about the days prior to the Reformation, back in the 1500s. Just think about what, what things were like. They were, they were dark days. The Roman Catholic Church held much, much power politically. They held power religiously. They held power as the Pope was total power over all the church. And the, the priests held the power over the people. And the people were kept in darkness. They were prohibited from reading the Word of God. Religion was thus superstitious at best. So they came to receive from the priests what little they had to give. Abuses in the church at that time were abundant. And nowhere did it show itself more clearly than how the church exploited the poor. The church leaders had developed an intricate system of giving and rewards called indulgences, by the way, which are still alive and well in the Catholic Church. They've not denounced them. An indulgence is the remission of the punishment for sins. And, and they are granted by the Roman Catholic Church in exchange for some good deed, maybe some some money given to the church or maybe some money given to have an, a mass um, given on behalf of an individual, uh, maybe some exemplary deed that the treasury of merit can can get so high that they can take out of the treasury of merit and give to those poor souls in purgatory, so they think, and Resolve some suffering for a little bit. That's what an indulgence is. And before the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church was working really hard to build St. Peter's Basilica. A huge undertaking costing much money. You can even go there today. The, the structure is still up. And as the teenagers like to say, the place is ginormous. But during the days of the Reformation, they, they were trying to finish this. So that was the heart of Pope Leo X. He just said his heart. He said, I, I want to want to finish this during my reign as pope. And to fund the project, the Roman Catholic Church was offering indulgences. Right? Give money to the church so that we can build these massive structures. Right. So we can have um, with all this money and we will grant you an indulgence. Maybe your uncle will spend a few less years in purgatory. Or if you give a lot of money, maybe your uncle will get out of purgatory altogether. And get into heaven right away as you give your money to us, the church. And uh, one of the chief fundraisers of this whole project was a man named Johann Tetzel from Germany. And uh, here was his message that he promised the people. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. 
So in other words, as soon as you get that money, as soon as that money drops into the offering plate or into the, the bin or the treasury, as soon as it drops, the soul is out of purgatory and into heaven. So they claimed. Now, one of the results of this was that many gave of the resources to this huge project. And despite the poverty all around them, the church was feasting in luxury, building this grand cathedral slums around. And that is the testimony of the Catholic Church worldwide. Huge cathedrals and slums all around. The church keeps for itself rather than giving to the poor and helping. It was a clear abuse of power. Martin Luther stood up to this abuse on October 31st, 1517, nailed the 95 theses to the door of the castle church at Wittenberg. And um, several of them addressed the abuse of granting those indulgences. Listen to Theses number 21. Those preachers of indulgences are in error, Martin Luther said, who say that by the Pope's indulgences a man is freed from every penalty and is saved. Number 56. The treasures of the church. So I was talking about the treasury of merit out of which the Pope grants indulgences are not sufficiently named or known among the people of Christ. It doesn't exist. Number 66, the treasures of the indulgences are nets with which they now fish for the riches of men. That's really what, what was happening there. The, the treasures of the indulgences are nets which they now use to fish for the riches of men. Martin Luther was hoping that these 95 theses would set off a, a grand debate, that they would talk about um, these indulgences and talk about the corruptions of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church might recognize its errors and repent, but that's pretty difficult when a church has stated that it cannot err. And so instead of the 95 theses setting off a debate, they set off a firestorm which led to the Protestant Reformation. And it has been well argued that one of the core reasons behind the Reformation and the revolt is the church in the 1500s had to do with the economic abuse the church is inflicting upon its members through the sale of these indulgences. That's one of several factors that came into being of the Reformation. Well, as we dig into our text this morning in Mark 12, 41 through 44, we're going to see Jesus witnessing similar economic exploitation that was taking place in the religious system that the Jews had established. Right, The, the rules that went far beyond Scripture, they just piled on, on top of the system to help the priests, and to help the scribes, and to help the Pharisees. My message this morning is entitled, Devouring Widows' Houses. It comes right there from verse 40, talking about scribes who devour widows' houses. And we see the prime example of that taking place in verses 41 through 44. Let's read this. And he sat down opposite the treasury. And began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty and put in all she owned, all she had to live on. This text breaks nicely in half. The first two verses describe the gifts that are given. And the next two verses describe the perspective that Jesus gives on these things. Right? The gifts and the perspective. And then, um, in terms of our message this morning, we'll spend most of our time there. But towards the end, we'll, I want to 
go to something I'm calling a better way from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Just a better way to give than what took place here. Well, let's look at my first point, the gifts. Now, in the days of Jesus, the religious leaders had placed money boxes around the temple. And these boxes were for people to place their contributions for the work of the, of the temple. And from historical sources, we know that these were placed in the court of women. Now, it's not because just the women paid into these things, but it's because men and women were, were able to mill in the court of women and thereby increase. Anybody who wants to give then could give. And uh, there's big open space in the courtyard. And we know from historical sources also there are 13 of these boxes that were around the courtyard. Now, why there were 13, I don't know. I, I didn't figure that out, don't know, but there were 13 of them. They were trumpet-shaped. So that's all. I tried to look for a picture online. I couldn't find it. But somehow what it means is it belled out like on the top somehow so that, you know, if you're going to throw a coin in the in the place, it's going to be hard to miss. It's got a big bell like that and everything's coming in uh, was the idea there. And uh, people uh, will walk around and be able um, to contribute to the needs of the temple. Now, at Rock Valley Bible Church, we have a similar arrangement to what they had in the Old Testament. Here we have an offering box in the back of the auditorium. I think most of you know about that. There's some visitors sometimes that come, like there's some visitors last week who came and said, now where, where, what, what do you, you didn't pass an offering plate? So it takes some continual education with that. But we have a, an offering box in the back of the auditorium. Um, the same purpose of boxes in the temple, right? They, the offering box there just receives money to support uh, the work of this church. Now, it's contrary to many practices of people in churches today that, that pass offering plates. Passing offering plates is fine. That's really not, not a problem. But in our day and age, with so many churches filled with greed and known by their desire for money, we just simply chose to do what we can, steer clear of the accusation of greed. And, you know, it makes an impression upon people. Uh, I know it made an impression upon those that visited last week that just were not about just trying to eke every little bit of money out of everybody that, that can be eked. As a result, I mean, one of the things at Rock Valley Bible Church, maybe to our shame, we don't talk much about money, though I do. We just go right through books of the Bible. When money comes up, we'll gladly talk about it. Um, it comes up in lots of contexts, just directing the heart, and those things come out naturally. But you all know that we need finances to support Rock Valley Bible Church. From time to time, we publish our financial information. We try to do that every month is my aim. I'm still trying to get that, that going. Um, but it's on the overheads oftentimes. I put it in the weekly word where we are financially. And the good news is that God is meeting all our needs. He's just meeting them. Uh, we're not overabundance. We're not below budget. We're about right on. Um, in our bulletin, even, we have a statement uh, about giving. I, you know what? I don't have. I brought it here. In our bulletin, not sure if you've ever seen this before, but you can take take this as it comes in the, the table and it says right there about giving. We believe giving is an act of worship. If you are led to give, there's a offering box at the back of the auditorium. And so we believe as you place funds there in that offering box, whenever you do as you're coming in, as you're leaving, as you're fellowshipping, that is an act of, of worship. And one of the things about putting the box in the auditorium is it helps to, um, to, to divert drawing attention to our giving. And I think that that's a, a biblical uh, plan of action in many ways. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your fathers in heaven. 
And when an offering plate is passed, there is there is a way that it's obvious who gives and who isn't giving. And all it takes is for someone to sit in the back, maybe get up a little higher and just watch and see who who gives and doesn't give. And, you know, you, you can play the game. I've seen seen the game played like this. I, I remember one time was was at a church and I was sitting about, you know, whatever. I was sitting maybe halfway back and there was someone maybe in a in a row right here. And, and there was a missionary who made a plea. All right, was pleading for money. And there was someone in the row. He went like this. He he leaned to the side so he can get his his wallet out. And then he. He starts going like this. He starts looking in his wallet and, and he pulls out, you know, some money so that all, all can see what he pulls out. And it, and it came by and he held it nice and high and put it in the way. And, and I, I've seen that before. Um, not that it happens all the time. I'm saying uh, it is an anomaly, I think, in many ways. But it, it can happen that you can play the game. You can also play another game. I, I know that um, uh, this, this group down in, in Georgia What's the name of the Brentwood picture? Sherwood Pictures. You ever seen the, the first movie they put out, Facing the Giants? And, and uh, what are the movies they put out? Fireproof and Courageous. Their first movie they put out, Flywheel. Have you guys seen Flywheel? I, it's, it's a, the quality of it isn't so good, but it is very funny and it is very good. And uh, one of the, the, the husband has a contention with the wife about how they're going to church. They're kind of going through the motions. And so he's sitting there in the pew and, and he pulls out an envelope, you know, like a giving envelope. It's all empty. And so he, you know, closes it and sits there and the, the plate comes by and he just slaps that em- empty envelope just right in the offering box. A very funny, funny scene in the movie, but just shows how people can play games with offering boxes and with offering plates and you know the the game can be played and and I think an offering box just helps so that game isn't played Jesus said when you give to the poor do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so they may be honored by men now, the only reason Jesus would say this about having trumpets blown is because trumpets were blown and, and people were honored with all the the money that they gave and truly I say to you Jesus said they have their reward in full Think about this reward idea. We'll get to it just here in a little bit. But beware of practicing righteousness before men, right? But practice it before God for your reward. And even here, if you, if you make it all outwardly, you all have your reward. Your reward is just being lifted up in the eyes of people. It's a big giver. But when you give, Jesus says to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So in other words, when you give, you should make it so that your one hand doesn't even know what your other hand is doing. Now, of course, that's ludicrous. Our hands can't think, but our brain knows what both of our hands are doing. But Jesus, of course, is just talking. Just, you know what? Don't make any big deal about it. Don't you dwell on it. Don't you think about it. Don't you bring show to yourself. Right? Make it discreetly. Give secretly as you can. And let your reward be only from God who sees all things. And I believe an offering box helps us to do these things. But realize this, though. It's not, it's not foolproof. Um, I'm really struck by last week I talked about all these different things the scribes did, right? They walked around in long robes and they had respectable greetings they liked and the chief seats and the places of honor and, and they offered long prayers. And, and none of those things in and of themselves are wrong. But uh, um, but they can be. They can be trappings. And uh, I was prideful last week saying, oh, we don't do any of those things. But we got an offering box. Right? Just like 
the Jews had. And so it's not necessarily wrong, but can even can even come with some problems. As we see here in verse 41 and 42. Here, here it's verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. And he began observing how people put money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. So think about this. When Jesus came into the temple area, he sat down and he didn't choose the seats of the pews up front here and he didn't choose the seats of the pews over there. He chose the seat back at the the sound table and he turned his chair so he could watch the offering box. Now, how he watched all 13 of them, I'm not sure. Maybe he he kind of. Back. But, but I think he was coming with intent here about, about looking and viewing these 13 trumpet-shaped containers. And, and more than just being able to see the containers, Jesus was close enough to be able to see who gave, what they gave, and how they gave. Look at verse 41. He sat on opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Now, I've not done this at Rock Valley Bible Church, but... You know, if, if we would look and see how people put money into the offering box, I would say that'd probably be a pretty boring thing. I think everybody's just about the same. They have whatever, a check or some cash, and they kind of drop by and, and put it in, you know, try to get that get it through that little hole, right, and kind of push it in and mash it down or whatever's, whatever's done. I don't think there'd be a large variance there, but I would bet that with these rich people putting in large sums of money, how they put it in was very obvious. I mean, how could Jesus know that many rich people were putting in large sums of money? I, I don't think it was his omniscience that told him how they were putting in large sums of money. Maybe there were sounds announcing those who were putting in the large money. Maybe even as it says literally here where it says putting money into the treasury. Um, really, they were putting in coins there. And the rich, maybe they were clunking the biggest coins, right? So you want to get your most bang for your buck, maybe pennies, you know, kind of clank, 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 clank. You know, you, you kind of pour the thing out and make a bunch. Of, I don't know how Jesus knew. But, but take note here that Jesus was watching them. And I think similarly, Jesus watches us. And he watches what you give and he watches how you give. Don't think anything escapes his eyes. Jesus notices the things that people don't notice. And he notices the things that people do notice. And I just think there's comfort here. And there's conviction here a little bit. But there's comfort here to know that Jesus spoke of rewards in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Don't parade your giving before everybody because you have your reward. But if you give in secret, Jesus says, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. There's a promise there of reward. In fact, there's nothing wrong with this motive. In fact, it has everything to do with the core of why we would give is because future reward from heaven is what we want. And I would say be motivated by that in every way. Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. Jesus says, listen, the best place to put your money is in heaven. Right? Place it into eternal things because there no rust is going to destroy that. No moth is going to destroy that. You put money here on earth and uh, moth and rust can destroy things, stuff, buildings burn down, 401 accounts can tank. Unless you're with Phil, then 401s go, go to okay. Even bad economies, they go, they go like this, right? 
It's just tenuous, but you can invest in God's kingdom. And Jesus said, invest there and think of your eternal reward when you give. Don't look for recognition from other people. Don't don't look for payback, but give an eye to the reward of your heavenly father. Jesus said, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return for your payment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor and the crippled, and the lame and the blind, and you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you and you repay to the resurrection of the righteous. What Jesus is saying there is right. right don't just don't just tit for tat. Don't just don't just invite people over because you know that you're going to get invited back. Right. Don't don't do things for repayment. But do things for a, a greater purpose. Don't expect that. You, you know, just even in our family this week, we invited some unsaved people over to our house. Um, you know, we've been reaching out to these people. We've been serving them and helping them. And they came into our house. I, I don't. We may be in their house. I'm not sure. I hope to get in their house someday. But it, I'm not expecting that. Right? But we are expecting to just give our lives to these people and, and share the love of Christ with them. If, if we go in their house, that's fine. we'll lose our reward. Right? That'll be terrible. But if we can do anything we can just to help them and direct them towards Jesus, that's, that's all we want to do. Um, you know, we have a lot of people in our home. Most oftentimes they're Christians. As we're kind of stepping out. It's a little bit... Um, we have a fair number of non-Christians. We're not percentage-wise fewer. Um, but it's good for us. Just we, we reaching out. I'd encourage you to do the same. But, but reach out not to be paid back. But these rich people were putting in large sums of money, lost their heavenly reward as they got their earthly reward, as people knew all how generous they were. Well, the contrast comes in verse 42. We see a poor widow. Now, this is a, a widow who is poor financially. But I think even as you read through this, it, it does make a lot of sense to just call it this poor widow. Because she is oppressed, she's afflicted, she is being abused, she's being taken advantage of. And she came, this poor widow did, and came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. These coins were the smallest Jewish coins in circulation in Palestine, worth about a 64th of a denarius, uh, which was a, a laborer's wage for the day. In other words, right, you, you, she put in about 10 minutes of labor for a, a laborer to, to, to work. And, and, you know, maybe they're equivalent looking towards a, a penny, right? I've got, I got two pennies here with Abraham Lincoln. Um, they were the smallest coins at that time, and she just had two coins that she, she dropped in. The offering box. And now we don't know how she dropped in, dropped them in. Jesus knew full well how she dropped them in. The NIV says what she gave was only a fraction of a penny. And, and the contrast between the, the giving of the rich and the giving of this poor widow is, is stark. The rich, many of them large sums. They're rich and they're powerful. But this widow, widows are weak and helpless Society, two small copper coins, only one of them, the solitary widow, just came and gave. And, you know, apart from Jesus saying anything about this and bringing attention to it, we wouldn't know anything about this woman. And yet Jesus comments on it. He gives his perspective, if you will. We see that here in verses 43 and 44. And I do believe it's different than what the Jews saw. When the Jews saw everything that's going on, and Jesus explained it. I'm sure they said, oh, I didn't really think about it that way. Well, Jesus explained it this way. 
He said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in what she owned. All she had to live on. I think Jesus statement there was a little bit like the statement coming up in chapter 14 when the disciples were. Uh, in Simon's house, the leper's house, and uh, this woman came and, and broke the vial of very costly perfume and poured it all over his head. And, and the disciples were indignant, right? And they began to scold her because they thought that she wasted this. And Jesus saw the whole event through different lens and changed everything. Jesus said, verse, chapter 14, verse 6, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. They thought she did a bad thing in wasting this money. Jesus said she did a good thing. And he talks about the poor. If you want to give, you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can give to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. This, this thing that she did was such a good thing that it would be spoken of whenever the gospel is spoken for thousands of years. All across the globe, this one humble act. And... There's a similar thing that takes place with this widow, right? There's one act and Jesus then takes this act and it is broadcast over all the world, wherever the gospel is preached as well. Just a different a different perspective. We, we see this different perspective also coming next week. Actually, maybe two weeks. Next week, I'll do a Thanksgiving message. But verse 13, chapter 13, he's going out from the temple. And one of his disciples said to him, teacher, behold, what wonderful stones, and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another, which will not be torn down. Oh, these buildings may look impressive, but there's something dreadfully wrong. And I'm going to take them down. Not one stone will be left unturned. And so such is the case, I believe, in verse 43 and 44, that the people might be really thrilled at all the money that's coming in, right? To make this temple all big and glorious and grand and all all the things that we support. And Jesus wasn't so thrilled. You know, it can easily happen in churches. Maybe there's some large building program taking place, some big project, the church fundraising drives, dinners and presentations, pushing everybody to the brink just to give sacrificially and to, to give and give and give and you know, at the end, there's a measure of success, right? There's rejoicing in the dollars coming in. Everyone's excited about the new building that's being built and all the, the opportunities for outreach. And, but I think oftentimes, perhaps lost in the shuffle, is the exploited poor in the process. Through great pressure of leadership, some may have been pushed far beyond what they should be giving, what they could be giving. So I told you that story last week. Just oppressing the poor in a ways that, that just goes beyond, right? To build the kingdom, the church, listen, is never to be done at the hands of exploiting the poor. It's never to be done. We ought to help the poor, not exploit them. And that's our case with the text this morning the attention of the crowds upon the rich and how much they gave, right? The, it's allowed for the temple to be built. Jesus focused his attention not on the rich, but upon this poor widow. And he called his disciples to him. And, and he comments here in verse 43. He says, truly I say to you. In other words, listen up. This is really important. I, I'm just telling you. This poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. And he explains. It. He says, because or for they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned. 
and all that she had to live on. Now, here we find more information about this this widow. These two copper coins is all she had. She didn't have any more. All she owned, as Jesus said, even here, all she had to live on. Well, you say, why is this the case? Why, why does she just have two coins left? Well, I believe her house has been systematically devoured by the scribes. It's been systematically devoured by the Jewish religious system, which was broken and in need of repair. See, God has always expressed his heart for the poor and the needy and the weak and the helpless. Time and time again in the law, we read of the orphan, the widow and the stranger. Exodus 22:21. you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Exodus 22, 22. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. And you say, well, how big is God's heart towards the orphan and the widow? Listen to the next verse, what Jesus says will happen to those who take advantage of the orphan and the widow. He says, if you afflict him at all, or the stranger, the, the weak and the helpless, if you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry. And my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. You want to exploit the widows and the poor, the orphans? God says, I'll make your wife a widow and I'll make your children orphans. I mean, you just this poetic way God's saying in the law about how much he he loves the orphan, the widow and the stranger and wants to help them. That's the heart of God, right? Psalm 146, verse nine. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. And he expects his people to do the same. And when the people of Israel's day, Isaiah's day, weren't doing the same, he he called them to repent. He said, wash yourselves, make yourself clean, remove the evil from my sight. So what's what's the evil he's talking about? He says this, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan and plead for the widow. God's heart's always been for the widow. God's heart's always been for the orphan. When James, the brother of our Lord, defined true religion, he said this pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Orphans and widows have always been at the heart of God's care and compassion and yet this, this Jewish system had been so established that this, this woman, this widow, felt somehow compelled to give the last two coins that she had. She went home hungry because of this religious system. Now think about widows. They've lost a husband. They've lost their companion. They're lonely. They don't have any wages coming in. All they have is what their husband left them. Maybe a house, maybe a, a farm, maybe some business assets. And throughout the rest of their lives, they have this and they need to live on that. And it slowly, slowly milks down. They didn't have opportunities really for earning a lot of money, maybe just subsistence, maybe a little bit. It was hard for a woman back then to get a job, and especially if they're an older widow. And... Sometimes those can diminish slowly and their assets outlast them. That's what they want. Right, Phil? Assets outlast your life, right? But in some cases, like this widow, I think that her life outlasted her assets. I don't think this was a one-time event. This widow gave money. Okay, There's conjecture there. But I think systematically the scribes were pilfering her resources 
to support their lifestyle. You think about it, the, the scribes weren't the Levites. The Levites had this system where, where things were given to support the temple and support them and other. But I think this was to help even support the, the scribes and pressure. And they, they need that money so as to go ahead and support them. And we find this widow probably on the last day of giving her life savings. And she's going to go home without anything. And what a contrast this is to the rich. Who, who give out of their surplus, but she gives, as it says, out of her poverty. And Jesus, look, look at what Jesus says. He said, out of her poverty, she put in all she owned, all she had to live on. And he even said in verse 43, this widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. I, I think what it means is this, is that this poor widow who put in two copper coins put in more than every and all the rich people combined. The reason is simple. She just put in every, everything she owned. Nobody else did that. And in God's eyes, her giving was more substantial than everyone else's giving. And there, there are some lessons here to be learned for sure, right? That God looks down and takes perspective in our giving of, of everything that's involved. He takes into perspective our wealth, our attitudes, our abilities, and it may be that the poorest among us are the greatest givers. God knows that. God can sort that out, and let's leave room for that. However, having said that, realize here that there aren't any indications of commendation for this widow. Jesus doesn't say at all here in this text, oh, look, she gave everything she owned. What a good person she was. Or, or how wonderful this was that she gave all of this. I think he's just pointing out, matter of fact, that God, God knows fully the whole economics of, of giving when, when you give. Okay, He knows all that. But I, I think that the idea here isn't so much that we ought to follow the way of the widow, which many pastors and preachers speak on. They say, oh, look at this widow. She gave everything and you should go give everything. Listen, I don't think there's anything especially meritorious about giving away so much everything that you then become a leech to everybody else. Okay? When the rich man was told to give away everything, I think he probably still was going to be with Jesus. He could have been industrious, could have gone out and done some fishing and just could have got for himself. I don't think Jesus said, you give away everything and then you become a leech. I don't think that's the case. Because a laborer is worthy of his wages. If he'd become a preacher, right? He, he preaches, at least there he's, he's giving people some, uh, some spiritual food, maybe for some physical resources. But this widow had nothing left. He's going to give it away and then become a ward of the state or a ward of the church or probably in that culture just kicked off and let aside. I don't think this is a commendation. And I say this because of the flow of the narrative, right? Mark chapter 12 begins. Jesus tells this parable of the vine growers about these vine growers which rejected the owner. And Jesus is saying, you guys have rejected me, just like you've rejected the prophets all the way down. And then we see in chapter 12, verse 13, the Pharisees and the Herodians are coming to trap him in a statement. The, the Sadducees are trying to trap him in a statement. And, and even this man in question about the law is trying to trap him, trying to catch him. And, and eventually they didn't, but they were trying to get him. And then Jesus, in verses 38 through 40, denounced the scribes about how wicked and awful and, and prideful they are. And then just kind of coming down. Here's an example of how a widow is just being exploited by everybody. <clears throat> Shows how corrupt the system is. There's economic abuse. Now, this is nothing new to Jesus' day. In Ezekiel's day, it happened. You can read in Ezekiel 34. 
Ezekiel prophesied against the shepherds of Israel, saying, Whoa, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Right. But they were feeding themselves. He says, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. And you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. You're just taking it into yourself. And you're getting everything for yourself. You're not, you need to give to the people. That's not genuine spiritual leadership. Genuine spiritual leadership feeds and cares for the flock above all things. Genuine spiritual leadership gives books to people. Sorry, Phil, you just lost your reward. <laughs> genuine spiritual leadership gives financially, gives sacrificially, gives to people, just pours themselves out rather than taking and taking and taking. But the shepherds of Israel just took and took and took and took. In Jesus' day, it was the same thing. And economic abuse happens today. There are plenty of preachers on the airways just asking for money. Give me your money. Send your, send your money in and, and God will bless you abundantly. They quote from Jesus, give and it'll be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. Right? You've heard that before? I mean, it's almost a cliche. It's told so many times in the airwaves that you can even ask a non-Christian just about just what preachers are about. In fact, I remember battling that when I was working at the hospital. And this guy there, just his whole view of Christianity was these, these money preachers just saying, hey, gimme, 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 gimme. It's where people are today. People today, right? Just, just exploit people. And many will take this widow as a supreme example of sacrificial giving. Look, this widow gave everything and she trusted the Lord and you can do it too. They might as well say, and look, we're just like the scribes of old, right? We love our lavish houses and we love everything, right? We love our clothes, right? And we love our greetings and we love our eye on our places, right? This widow, just be like her because we're just like the scribes. Well, why did this woman give everything? I think she'd been taught to do so. I'm not sure she'd been promised health, wealth and prosperity, but... Something in her, her, her being felt like it was appropriate to give the last little bit of everything that she had. And let me just say this. If we as a church ever require offerings from widows who can't afford it, poor people who can't afford it, and we offer them instead of helping them, we are guilty of oppressing poor. And if we as a church ever tell people to give when they cannot buy their food and pay their bills then we are oppressing the poor. Listen, those who walk with the Lord will not oppress the widow or the poor. Rather, we will give to the poor. We will give to the widows, not take away from them. Christianity needs to be an open-handed religion that gives to people, not that takes. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. There's plenty that we have that we can do good to them. I believe here we see a broken system. In our house, we have a, a small whiteboard that hangs in the kitchen. And this whiteboard has, uh, I think it's maybe seven or, I'm not sure. It's got some stuff. It says Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's got just what's happening that day. It's got some other columns and lists. And Yvonne, duly for maybe a year and a half, two years, every Sunday night, Monday morning, takes that board out and wipes, wipes it clean and begins to write our agenda on there so we can see everything that's taken place uh, of the week. 
kind of everybody kind of putting all our schedules in and just everybody who's there. So kind of a week at a glance is what this is, a little white whiteboard thing. Well, there's also on there some projects to be done. Right, there's some repairs to be made, some things to clean up, some things to paint. And these, these projects fall into two categories. There's, there's one that's category is cosmetic, such as, um, you know, like painting a kid's bathroom or master bedroom or a new kitchen counter, some bathroom lights or maybe staying the place at. And then there are others that are in the repair category, like my office door or, um, the sump pump drain cover so it doesn't get frozen this winter, which I still need to do, or a fence, which is outside, which is in pretty bad shape, actually. It's kind of embarrassing to see how bad this fence is, but they've been there for a long time, okay, and they just sit there and they, they haunt me. But we, we think about these changes with the, um, the religious system here. These aren't just cosmetic changes that need to be made to the religious system of the Jews. They need to be overhauled and revamped and totally replaced because it was broken, it needs an overall. Leaders were corrupt, the poor were being oppressed, and it's no wonder that Jesus said the buildings are coming down. Well, there we've seen the, the gifts and the comments. Let's look at a better way. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. You can turn there. We're not coming back to Mark chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here we see some of the same elements taking place here, right? The giving is addressed. Giving from poor people is addressed. And commenting upon the giving of the poor is addressed. Now, to understand these chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you need to understand the historical context behind what's happening here in Corinth. There's a, a famine throughout the whole world, um, hitting those hard who lived in Jerusalem the hardest. And uh, it was determined that those in Antioch would take up a collection of Barnabas and Saul or Paul would deliver the gift to the elders in Jerusalem, which they did. But what happened was the famine continued to go and these poor saints, these Christians in Jerusalem needed help. And so Paul, as he's on his third missionary journey, was out and about in these, these places. And uh, he's deciding to pick up a collection to bring back as he goes back to Jerusalem, hopefully for the Pentecost, for Pentecost, for the Passover, Pentecost. I can't remember which he's coming back for, but he's coming back to Jerusalem and he wants to have this collection of money to help these people. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 16... Concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so do I do to you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections may be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, I will go there as well. And so Paul basically said, OK, Corinthians, right? We got this fund project, this help the poor project in Jerusalem. And I want you to start setting aside first first uh, day of the week to set aside some money as you're prospering. Right. And, and even there, he's saying not not everyone. Right, but if, if your business is tanking right now and you don't you're you need to get that right first. But as you prosper, as God prospers you, then you give and you get that going. OK. And so that when I come, we don't have this big, you know, offering hoopla. There's just some money there. And whoever wants, I'll write a letter. They can send it to Jerusalem, give it to the elders. So make sure it gets in the right hands. Or if you want me to go, I'll go as well. Whatever you want. So there's the context of what's taking place. And in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul's addressing the same situation. But now he, he gives the perspective about what took place in Macedonia with some people he told the same thing to. And so we see here in chapter 8, verse 1, we see their sacrificial giving, ready to give. 
right? Because the gospel had impacted their lives. Second Corinthians eight. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. His aim is to to make known the grace of God. And how does he make known the grace of God? Well, by displaying how well they give. Because their giving displayed the grace of God. The gospel had come to those in Macedonia in word and power and much conviction. The Holy Spirit, they were told of Jesus Christ and crucified. They believed the saving message of the gospel. And they believed in Him who would forgive their sins. And then they responded. And how did they respond? Well, through faith. They believed and trusted the Lord. And God changed these people. and, And their lives still had affliction, still had difficulty, still had poverty. Yes, but... They gave sacrificially to the famine relief because God had changed them. Look at verse 2. In a great ordeal of affliction and their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, sounds like economic exploitation, if you, but it's not. They gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now notice how these people gave to the work of God. They they were facing affliction, verse 2. They were deep in poverty, verse 2. And they overflowed with generosity. Paul even said they gave more than they're really able to do. Verse 3. They gave according to their ability. They even gave beyond their ability, but they did so willingly. They did so, verse 2, joyfully, and they begged to be involved, verse 4, begging us with much urging. Oh, we really want it. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, the person wants to give something. You don't want it and you give it. And, and they really, Paul was like, no, no, it's OK. And they, they really wanted to give this gift. They really had a heart for these people in Jerusalem. And my, my trust is they just went into sacrifice for days or months at a time to be able to make up what they really couldn't afford. So how did this happen? Here it is. It's the grace of God in their lives. Just God's grace. And my guess is this. If you'd have seen the widow give, you'd have seen a difference between the giving of the widow and the difference of the Macedonians. I, I believe this widow was poor and oppressed and maybe hunched over and couldn't do much and just kind of gave her last. I, I would bet... This is conjecture, but I would guess she gave with a a frown on her face, tears in her eyes. Like, uh, I don't know what else I'm going to do, God. Those in Macedonia were giving from their own volition, faces ready and joyful to give help to the Lord, had an enthusiasm and an energy. They just begged with us and they, verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord. That means they're serving the Lord. They They were giving themselves to us. They were serving us. There was an eagerness and a ready. They had an energy that they that they gave. And I just say there's a marked difference probably between these two gifts. So one gave everything. The other one gave very sacrificially. And I just I just say this, that nothing can thwart the work of God more than a frowning countenance and a weary in the work. Um, you know, we had a salesman come to our door yesterday um, selling us phone, Internet, cable. And he'd come a couple of days before and he asked what our cable service cost, what, what we did. And we said we don't have cable and he couldn't really believe that. But we told him that. And uh, but he quoted a phone and an Internet price. And so we thought about it a little bit and we said, OK, why don't you come back? He said, OK, I'll be back Saturday. And so we thought about the deal and in his deal. Then we clarified it. He came back yesterday, clarified it, it was a little better than what we're doing. And so we decided to 
take the bait and uh, change your internet and phone service. We hope it's more profitable for us. But when he stepped in the door, I think our house, I'd, I'd call it chaotic, Avon, <laughs> to say the least. Well, we were right in the midst of doing music and changing some things. We had all this stuff spread out on the on our counter and we're copying stuff. And I needed to run downstairs to get stuff off the printer and computer and get some music from outside and do this. And on top of this, Miko is over to help practice. And you, you witnessed what it was going. And then we got this dog that loves everybody and yip, 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 barking and everything like that. And you throw our kids into the mix who aren't the calmest of beings anyway. And you throw all this together and we're... Well, he's in here and he's kind of writing up his contract. I think he's seeing what's going on. I think it was chaotic, but I don't think it was chaotic in a, in a bad way. I think he caught wind of what we were doing a little bit, music and, and interaction. And, and towards our, the end of our time together, he pushed cable TV on us one more time. And I said, no, 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 no. I, if we had cable TV, I'd waste too much time. It's bad, bad for me. So we no, we don't need that. And, and I engaged in small talk about our children and his children and, as we're walking out, um, I thought, you know what? Just here's an opportunity. Let's let's not miss this opportunity. So I, I grabbed him a, I grabbed a track which we keep by our, our front door. Maybe you guys have seen this, right? A good person track. So I just handed it to him and just said, here, well, here's something for you. And he said thanks and and went on his way. But uh, but my point about that is a little bit that that our home was chaotic. Yes, but I think there was a joyful chaotic to it. And I think he saw that we're engaged in ministry. And I think it was a a happy visit that he had. I mean, we weren't screaming at our kids, we weren't yelling at our kids. We were happy and, and delightful. I'm just trusting the Lord that what he saw will be a little bit like these of Macedonia who were who were giving and who were energetic and who were changed by the grace of God to serve the Lord, enjoy, even when things are, are hard. Because that's what those in Corinth were like. Everything was flowing from the grace of God, which was in Christ. And Paul says to them, Regarding giving, he says, verse eight, I'm not speaking this as a command, right? Give you, you don't you don't have to give. You don't you don't have to do this. I'm not speaking as a command, but as proving through your earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. See, new covenant giving never comes a command. You know, I, I do believe it's wrong when people say, oh, you got to have your tithes and your offerings. I, I don't believe in tithes. OK. I believe that's an Old Testament phenomenon that people were required to give. They were taxed on their money. We are not. We have been given by the grace of God and I believe by the grace of God, a tithe. we ought to give far more than a tithe. How is it that those of the law gave a tithe, but we who have grace give so much less? It doesn't work. We have grace to give so much more out of thankfulness to the Lord because we fully understand the reality of Christ, but not in any way a, a pressure about this much we should give. And I don't think, by the way, verse eight, I don't think it comes by way of command. I don't think it's a command to us. So I'm not I'm not placing on you any kind of law. I just said that if the grace of God has changed you and if you sincerely have love, like verse eight says, I'm not speaking this as a command. But it's proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. And then he goes right into the gospel. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. And right there is there's the gospel, right? God, Jesus, rich in heaven, face to face with God, enjoying the fellowship of glory in perfect fellowship Rich in all the glories of the worlds, right there for him to see. And yet, for our sakes, he became poor. He took on flesh and blood and the weaknesses of men. He walked with men. He, he mixed with sinful men surrounded by 
It's by sin from all directions, eventually poured out to death. Yes, even death on a cross. And yet it's through his poverty, through his humility that God has made us rich. And Paul's argument is this. If you've been made rich at God's expense, you've been made poor. Surely you can be made poor so that others would be helped and loved. There, there it is. The gospel changes everything. It changes our heart to give. It changes our heart to help. And, and there is blessing in giving. Right? Look at chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And there again, you got rewards. Okay? Primarily look to rewards in heaven, though I think there will be some earthly rewards as well. Whether they come or not, that's great. But here's how we ought to give. Unlike this widow who had given by force, each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may be able to have an abundance for every good deed. This is the better way. This is the better way. And I just hope my, my prayers for us at Rock Valley Bible Church that we would so bountifully that we would be generous people, that we would be giving people, that God might allow us to reap bountifully. Could it be that some of the problems with our, our reaping is because we're not sowing bountifully? But trusting, right, as, as verse 8 says, that God is the one who's able to make all grace abound, that God is going to carry us and God is going to be our sufficiency. But let us do, like verse 7 says, each one willingly. You just contribute in the back of the auditorium however you want. Little pressure on you to give. Giving that comes from your heart. Verse 7. On a giving that comes from your own joy and participating with God's work. That, that's, how to, that's how to give. That's a, that's a different way. That's a, a better way than what this poor widow faced who was oppressed. Okay? Let me pray that God may give this heart to us. Oh God, uh, I would pray as we reflect upon the gospel and the, the wonders of, of Christ that we would be givers. And even here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it is not giving to the work of the church. It is given to missionary work. God, work to support the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would give us a heart to be um, cheerful in our giving. God, we would be giving because we know of, of Christ and what His work He's done for us. I pray that we would be thankful people. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Help us, O oh Lord, to, to see where oppression is taking place. God, and may we as a church nip that at the bud. God, I thank You for the, the generous people here. And yet I also know there are people struggling here. And I pray we would, would help them. Because I know the heart's desire of every child of God is to be a, a giver, to be in a position where they can. I pray you'd teach us what to sacrifice. I pray you'd teach us where to, where to cut so we can give. But that we would be, um, be those who would help. God, so this oppression might not take place at Rock Valley Bible Church, but that where, where those who are um, weak and poor would feel honored and helped. So, God, this is, this is all in your hands. And I would pray for your grace in our lives to help us with perspective. I also pray for next Sunday. And I pray there would be a, just a tremendous outflowing of thankfulness and praise and honor and glory to you. We love you, Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.